0: Let's get to uh, Revelation chapter 1. This uh, portion of Scripture has been extremely exciting to me. I hope it has been to you as well. Um, We are blessed by having this revelation from God that He has given to us. He tells us what His plans are. He tells us what He's doing. He tells us what He's about. Uh, And uh, that is an encouragement to me. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there with us. And folks, for those who were not here last week, we looked at a picture, a picture of our Savior, a picture of our Lord. It's a glorious picture. It's an incredible picture. It's an exalted picture, we put it that way, of one who came to save sinners who came to save sinners. We saw last week how he is in the midst of the church and he moves about in the church. He walks among his church. He gives them confidence. He gives them care. And, and folks, frankly, he gives them correction because the church needs correction. I'm going to read through the whole passage from verses 12 through 20, so that you can get the image in your minds. I'm going to remind us a little bit of what was said last week, in case you weren't here. Uh, And if you weren't here, I forgive you. Just, Just kidding. Just kidding. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Went it was made has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And we went through that passage last week, so if you did miss it, you need to listen to that and get all of the situation there. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which uh, you saw in my right hand, And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There's so much there to unpack. There's so much to look at, but we only have a limited amount of time. And and frankly, by the way, Steve, I want to thank you for the music. The first song was like a theology lesson. I I hope you listened to it. it. It was theology all over the place, and if you didn't get that, you need to get the, the, the words for that song. It was wonderful. So as you remember from last week, there were nine features that we looked at of the glory of the appearance of Jesus Christ. John gives us a description of wonder here. He gives us a picture of the glory of God here. But behind the symbolism, folks, of that fabulous visage of the Almighty Savior, He is still at work. It's not just about a picture. Remember last week I used the idea of of seeing a picture when I was a Roman Catholic little boy, and you you see that picture, but it's much more than a picture. That doesn't even give us a thimble. It doesn't give us anything, dust, of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he's doing. The features were a robe. That's the first feature that we saw, the robe and the sash. They displayed Christ's priesthood. They told us about the Lord Jesus Christ and how He's not only king and prophet, but He's also priest. The priests of the Old Testament were ones who kept the lights on, so to speak. They went around in the temple and they changed the oil, they changed the wicks, and they made sure that the lights stayed on. Jesus Christ does the same for the church. He makes sure that the lights stay on. And I don't mean the uh, uh, lights in the building. Jesus keeps the light on for the church, for His glory and for our good. He does that. The third feature was the white hair displaying wisdom for the church. As we seek the Savior, as we look into His heart, as we study the Word of God, He gives us wisdom. That's what He's there for. That's what He does in the church. The white hair displays gentleness of of a grandfather, tenderly care. For his grandchildren. That's the kind of picture that I get from that wisdom that he's displaying. The fourth feature, and I realize these are very brief. And the fifth feature, I have the same portrayal here. The same kind of picture. Those are the piercing eyes and those are the bronze feet. Solid. They're solid in judgment. As I mentioned last week in ancient times, when you came before the king for judgment, He's up on that throne up on high and when you're down below and you look up all you see is His feet. All you see is those solid feet there and that strength is portrayed here. Those are the feet of Jesus Christ. He is going to make judgment. Get to the end of Revelation if we are to get there. You see that judgment. You see the destruction of this planet. You see all that He does at the end. The powerful voice is the voice of command. That's what comes next. I was thinking about this at about 2 o'clock last night when I heard the CPAP machine. It's something that awakens you, okay? It's something that's constant, okay? But it doesn't keep your attention because you can get up and go in the living room. (laughs) It's a powerful voice, it's something that needs to be listened to is the idea here. That's the sixth feature. And then the next two features are not much about his personal appearance, but the seven stars and the two-edged sword. These are instruments, and I love that particular analogy there of the, of the seven stars and, and, and then of the instrument of, of the two-edged sword. They're, they're basically telling us this one fact Bottom line, he's in control. Thank you, Lord. I am glad that you're in control and there isn't anyone else in control. And he's going to, in the end, take total control with the word of truth and slay his enemies. The last feature is the shining face portraying the transfiguration Same kind of thing that happened at the transfiguration is what I should say, at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's to catch everyone. That's what we've done is to catch you all up to that. That shining face is there at the transfiguration. So the first facet is the glory of his appearance. Now the second facet is found in verses 17 through 20. We've read that already. And this is the glory of his message. The glory of his message. Let's start in verse 17. When I saw him. I fell at his feet like a dead man. I asked you a question last week. I hope you asked yourself what you would do if you saw the glory of Jesus Christ. I hope you asked yourself, what would you do if you saw the glory of Jesus Christ? Here's the almighty, glorious Savior in person, in your bedroom, in your living room. What would you do? This is exactly where we find the second facet of the glory of the Redeemer. This is the glory of His message. What would you do if you saw Him? How would you respond to Jesus Christ, Creator, Redeemer? How would you respond to Him? Jesus tells us about Himself here. He does not do this in, in a bragging kind of way. You know, you, uh, uh, the human beings can find ways of talking about themselves. Um, I've done enough of listening to people that I hear them talking about themselves. Boy, if I was that good, I would have no problems. But they talk about themselves. But the purpose here of Jesus speaking is to what? Calm his friend down. Wait a minute. That, that's the same friend that walked with him. Jesus also does this in a way to authenticate the message. He's authenticating his message. He's he's telling John, and frankly, us, that is his message. This is not something that's being made up. Frankly, John's response is not totally unexpected, folks. He is viewing the risen Savior, the one who he has been preaching about for 60 years probably a little bit more than that. He's preaching about them, and this is what happens. All of a sudden, he's in the presence of the resurrected glory of Christ, the Messiah. John falls as if dead. What would you do? What would you do? This is the disciple that leaned on his chest when they were having dinner this lifeless appearance now of John in total fright of Jesus Christ? Or is it because there's such shock that he would even be there? How could he be here? What if he returned here now? What would we do? I suspect some of you would come up and want to talk to him. I suspect some of you would fall down in fright because you know how wicked a sinner you are, and you know that he can see right through you. Turn to, John, uh, to Daniel chapter 10. We get another picture of this kind of thing happen happening. Daniel 10 just gives us a glimpse into our Lord. In Daniel 10, starting in verse 7. Daniel 10, verse 7, it says this, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Can you imagine being there, Jesus Christ coming, and you don't see him? What does that say? What does that say? You see everybody else responding in in fright, falling down. But... Let's go back to it. Dan- now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, of course, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. It was drained out of me. For my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retain no strength. You ever been like that? You have a jarring event in your life. You hear somebody you love died. Everything's just taken out of you. You see an accident. One day I'm walking with a friend of mine, and, and this car right in front of us turns I mean, hits another car and flips over. Ah, whoa, what do we do? Run to the car. That's what you do. You retain no strength, but I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. I don't even see anything. Keep me from looking. Verse 10 Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. That's the same thing that's happening here in Revelation 1. Jesus is coming over to comfort his friend. That's what Jesus does. He is there to comfort us when we need it. Let's look at another one, Ezekiel chapter 1. Just so you get a a good picture of these things, it's not unusual for this to happen, especially in Scripture. I'm not saying it happens today, by the way. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Oh, so he falls on his face. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Seems like this is a habit here. This is what happens when you see God, when you see Jesus Christ. Isaiah 6, 5, it says this, Then I said, Woe is me, Isaiah 6, 5, For I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. Uh, could anybody else say that? Yeah. it doesn't mean just swear words, folks. You can still be a person of unclean lips by using your mouth in the wrong way. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. You fall down, your face is in the ground, when you see Him. That's what happens, folks. This is not drama. This is what actually happens. You're so overcome, your heart even stops for a moment. I don't think I've had my heart stop, but boy, except for the first time I saw my wife, to be. Okay. What did you expect two days before Valentine's Day? Come on. (laughs) You guys should be preparing for that, even though it's not a real holiday. The first words from Jesus are, and for you guys who forget that it's Valentine's Day, these are the first words that Jesus will say to you, do not be afraid. (laughs) Do not be afraid. You see, men, ladies, there's no reason to fear. I don't care what happens. People can say all manner of things about you. There's no reason to fear. As long as you're doing it God's way, you have nothing to fear. They could drag you through the mud and they could do all kinds of manner of things about you and to you. You don't have to fear. If you've been a faithful servant, if you've been His servant, and you've been On his page all those years, you have nothing to fear. Your name and your doings are above reproach. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Those are great words. Encouraging words. Don't fear. He's there if he's with you if he's yours. But he has to be yours. Both John and and Jesus are doing similar things here that happened back in Matthew chapter 17. So why don't we go back there just for a little peek at the transfiguration in Matthew chapter uh, 17, verses 1 through 8. I can't imagine, well, first of all, uh, we're going to leave Peter out of this because he... He, uh, he does things that are just so different. But in Matthew chapter 17, well, let's go look at verse 7. And Jesus came to them and touched them. Oh, verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. That's the same thing that happened in Isaiah, the same thing that happened in Ezekiel, same thing that happened in Daniel. They fell face down. Here's the judge, the almighty judge. They see him now as Messiah. They know that. And they fell down on their face. Because who could stand before the king of kings and the Lord of lords? No one is perfect. And they know that. I don't know that they understand grace yet. But folks, you can't always call on that grace card even though that song, that first song was about grace. You can't always call on that grace card. Oh, next time I'll do it better. Next time I'll do it better. Don't keep kicking the can down the street, folks, because it may wind up in the toilet. It may wind up in the receptacle. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, get up and do not be afraid. Remember, the symbol of Christ taking care of the churches, the seven stars, that's what he's doing here. But he uses his hand, by the way, and what does he do? He uses his hand to comfort this troubled man. He's fallen. It's his comrade. It is his disciple. It's his apostle. And so he does that. John gives now, okay, folks, he gives now three assuring pictures. Here are the three assuring pictures of himself. Pictures to help John get a grip. These three pictures are to give stability to John. And folks, I pray to God that it gives you stability. Stability in the times of life when you're being ripped apart. They may come. They may come. And it could be finances. It could be relationships. It could be all kinds of things. These are the things that you need to get a grip on. The first... And the last, that's what we see in verse 17. It's representing control of time. Jesus Christ has complete control of time. The second is living one. That's representing the control of life. That's what he does. And the last one is that he's the church protector. As a whole, he protects the church. And when I say the church here, I mean the believers. Because we know the church has more than just believers in it. Representing His presence here, and we see that in verse 20, and so we're going to get to those three assuring pictures. The first picture is found in verse 17. I am the first and the last. That's basically telling us that Jesus was before time. Before there was any time, He was there. And folks, when time is over, and it will be over sometime... He'll be there. This is not the first time, as a matter of fact, using that word, that this has been used. It says in Isaiah, don't turn there, and I'll take you to a few other passages. Isaiah 44, 6 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God beside me. Jesus Christ is now Yahweh and the, the God the Father, God the Son are together in that particular verse. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God beside me. I, I look at America today and there's so multitudes of gods out there. Now we even have Satans as gods. You know, those kinds of things are just irking me. But, God is in control. Isaiah 41, 4. Isaiah 41, 4. And then we'll look at another passage in Isaiah, and I will need to move on. But Isaiah 41, 4, it says this Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and the last. I am He. He's there before and at the end. We're in this interlude, folks, and that's all we are, is an interlude. But the interlude is for a purpose, so that he receives glory. How are we doing in that, that he would receive glory in our life? By our obedience, by our relationship with him. That's what he is looking forward to or for. Isaiah 4812 says this 4812 listen to me, O Jacob. Speaking to the nation, obviously, there, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Well, when I came to Grace Community Church, I came out of a false system of Roman Catholicism. I had no idea what I was going to hear here. I had no idea what I was going to get. All I know was that somebody witnessed to me, gave me the gospel, and that's all I wanted. As a matter of fact, I said even that first day, if I find anything wrong in the Bible, it was a Gideon Bible, if I find anything wrong in this thing, I'm out of here. Forty plus years later, I'm still looking. No. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, believe. Believe that He is God. Trust Him. Yes, you're going to have problems in your life. I know you are. Okay? I've lived enough days to know there's always trouble in this life. But you see, this life is not about your happiness. This life is about your holiness. What are you doing about it? How are you gathering in what you need to do and know to be able to live a life for Christ? Or are you always thinking, I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. Because I got to tell you, I I hear this so often. I'm not getting this. I'm, I'm not happy over here. Folks, get a grip. Get a grip. This is not about you, this is about Him. You make that kind of commitment. When when you went came to Jesus Christ, it says, Now come follow me. You're to deny yourself. That's what a Christian does. That's what a believer does. Folks, this description of Jesus as the first and the last weds him, okay, in a sense to God the Father. They're they're together. Whether here or And now let's go back to Revelation, but this time Revelation 21. We do have a few more that we need to look at. Revelation 21.6 says this, Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Revelation 21.6 The Alpha and the Omega The beginning and the end Some people say How could How could he let things happen Today if he's the beginning and the end How could he let problems happen In this world How could he let a balloon go over the United States <laughs> I mean really Twenty two 22.13 I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Over and over we are firmed. He is the beginning and the end. I, I don't have to fear anything. What if we were attacked in, right now by balloons, okay? And they came in and they came into our country and they started killing Christians. What's gonna happen, folks? Going to heaven going to heaven. Who cares? Send me there. The equality of the Godhead is seen here and I love that. Now the second picture is of Jesus as the living one. Represents his control of life. We see in verse 18, and the living one, and, and I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and to haze. There's so many little things in here or big things in here to show us how much He's in control of life and death. Do you think doctors are? No, they're not. They're not. These are the words of the risen Savior describing who He is now. Messiah is self-authenticating here. His eternal role as the Savior is being mentioned here and being uh, talked about here. Friends, Jesus holds the keys of life and death. And you know what? He also holds the keys to heaven and hell. Yeah. He will be sending a, a whole load of people to hell. And they may, may, may even be people that are in a church, the church. He will be sending them there. I mean, I think of Matthew 21, I mean, 721. It just, that grips my mind. That you will hear those words. I never knew you. That's verse 23. Those who fear death, those who fear dying, must cast their cares upon Him. It's up to Him. Jesus had victory over the grave. And you can as well if you surrender to Him. I I think I've mentioned it to you before, but just to do it once again, my dad died at 52. His two brothers never even hit 50. So when I got to about 50, I said to my wife, here's a list of young men that I think would be okay for you. (laughs) Yeah, because I figured it's time for me to go. I'm not hitting 50, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm you know, going to leave this planet. I was really looking forward to it. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have met my grandkids, though. Anyway, I gave her the list, and she said, Stop it! <laughs> and gave it back. Folks, you have no idea when you're going to go. You have absolutely no idea when you're going to go. Embrace it. Embrace it. I've watched lots of good people die in the hospital. I've watched lots of good people die at home and they embraced it said bring it on it's okay it's okay don't fear it friends jesus holds the keys to life and death to heaven to hell but those who fear death and those who fear dying are going to be in my counseling room because they're going to have anxiety jesus had victory over the grave That's what we need to hold on to. You see, when he rose from the dead, it showed us what's going to happen to us when we die. We're going to rise again. I like this idea. It's 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out fear. So I love whatever the Lord's going to bring me, whatever he's going to give me. The letter here to Smyrna makes the point clearly. And uh, we we just need to look at it. in for uh, Second Revelation two, verse eight, and the angel of the church in Smyrna write the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this I know your tribulation and your poverty, you but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, even if you know you're going to have persecution. I had a pastor from Turkey once at the Shepherds Conference ask me. He said, Pastor, we are doing church discipline on a man who had committed adultery in our secret church, underground church. And we want to do that church discipline on him because he has hurt her, obviously, and we need to do that because the Scriptures called us to it. But he has said he's going to tell the authorities about the church. That's not good for the church. What should we do? What should we do? What do you think I said to him? I said you still have to do it because that's what the Word of God says. But you have to be wise in doing it. I said, first tell your people, this is what you're about to do so that they can scatter if they need to scatter. If they want to stand in the way, they stand in the way because that no, that new church that he's going to, he's only going to do the same thing there. He's going to hurt another young lady and he should not have the right to hurt that young lady. He needs to be church disciplined and everybody needs to know about it. I've never heard from that pastor again, but i pray to God, he'd come back to this shepherd's conference and tell me what happened. We do what the Scriptures say. We do what the Word of God says. You don't pick and choose what you want to do. Don't fear death. As he goes on there in, in verse 18, he says, I, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The man of glory, the risen Savior, is still living. He will never die as he is forevermore. That word there, that particular word there that's used, is the strongest expression in the language to convey time unending. It's the strongest one that you could come up with, and that's what's used here. Today, the reaper, and there is a reaper, there is a killer of mankind. That killer of mankind is the devil. It is because of him that everyone experiences death. He destroys relationships. He destroys families. And he even tries to destroy the church. He thought he had won when Christ went to the cross. He thought it was, when he murdered him, he thought it was great. The consequence of sin in the Garden of Eden was to be cast out of the garden. It's also not just to be cast out of the garden. But if you notice, the first thing that will happen there, put an angel so they can't get back to the tree of life. God wants them to experience death now. But the one, the chosen one, he died and rose from the grave. 1 Peter says it so well. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Peter 3.18. He gives a great explanation for all of this. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. He died for that purpose, to bring us to God. Having put to death in the flesh, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, now the risen Savior has given way to eternal life. Eternal life for those who follow Him. He is alive and He's alive forevermore. He paved the way for the sinners to become alive forevermore. What Satan ruined in the garden continues to try to ruin. The Savior has overcome The resurrection of Christ was a glorious expression of grace, folks. Thank you for that song once again. Jesus became the conqueror of death. Verse 18, and the living one. This is Jesus authenticating his resurrection. He's now alive, and he is not remaining in the grave. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and and the universe cries out, come he wants they the universe wants him to come because they want to be redeemed jesus controls all the living you may think that there are some things that can't happen i don't care if you're at the grammy awards or you're anywhere else it can happen those things are happening, whether you get a drag queen in a, a library to teach children or whatever it is, they are happening. We still need to live for Christ. We need to live and follow His Word all the time. I have the keys to death and Hades. Death is a state for every human being. All of us are going to die. All of us, unless the Lord returns, which we're hoping for by the end of chapter 3. Death is a state. Hades is a place. Let's look what, what happens to death and to Hades. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. Revelation 20, 14 and 15. This is what happens to them in the end. And it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's just to remind you, folks. He's in control of life. And you have to be his, sold out for him, not sold out for yourself. So easy to be sold out for self. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give That's what we want. Sold out for him. I'm often asked about this word, Hades. Where is it? What does it mean? Hades is the New Testament equivalent to Old Testament Sheol. And this is where the dead go. Keep that in mind. This is where the dead go. Hades is a reserved for the unbeliever. The believers enter the portals of heaven. You now so many people wonder where do we go when we die? Well, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. And by the way, I, I need to mention this because I it's in the passage there, but verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ, for me to for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 23. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. You see, he's saying there, when he dies, guess what? He's going to be with Christ. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? When we leave here, all of the problems that we may have, all the pain that we may have, will be with him. But you have to be his children. You have to be his children. Since Christ has the keys, He is the only one who has the authority over where you go. Jesus controls the forces of death. He controls the forces of life. He is not only the first and the last, but He is eternal. One of the issues that is settled by the text is that because Jesus controls the forces of life and death, of health and of suffering, There is nothing for us to fear. That's the bottom line. You get sick, he's allowed it. He's allowed it for his purposes because he's going to mold you and meld you into the person of God that he wants you to be. Jesus is in command of these forces and he brings about what I call the perseverance of the saints, which theologians call the perseverance of the saints, and he uses those things to help them persevere. Jesus conquered death. Why should I fear it? Revelation 2.10. We said it before. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Oh, that may happen. So that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So you're going to go into prison for 10 days and then you're going to go into eternity, basically. Bring it on. 10 days is not that long. One commentator said this. and Folks, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're not fearful. And if you are fearful, check your heart. Get a grip. Find out where you really are with the Lord. Spend some time, alone time with Him. Am I His? You do not need to fear the forces of evil that are in the world. You have heavenly protection, heavenly affirmation. But one commentator said this. I'm not going to give his name here, but one commentator said this. When the Lord says, quote, When the Lord says He has the keys of death and hates, He intimates that he is the absolute master of all that might threaten man, whether for the body or the soul. Satan's power in this respect is annulled. Christ has it all. It's his. It's his. I was uh, working with this couple, and they got pregnant. And um, they were told the baby that they were going to birth was going to die after it was born, so why not abort it? Why not abort it? Why not take it? Couple said, no, not going to do it. We're not going to do it. The doctors kept railing against them that they were cruel to have her go through this whole pregnancy and know that the baby was going to die. Folks, she went through the whole pregnancy And she told the doctors why, because she was a Christian. And she couldn't murder a child. She couldn't hurt a baby. They now have four children, by the way. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. Now we see in verse 19, therefore write these things. This is sort of an interlude, as as they say write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. John is now being told what to do. Uh, In this interlude um, that we see here that's describing Christ and what direction he's given to John, remember he fell at his feet. He fell as a dead man and now Jesus is telling him to do something. He wants them to get up and start to do these things. He gives them the specifics of what he wants them to do. Basically, he takes his arm, puts it on, or hand, he puts it on John, and he wants to take this stunned apostle and say, get to it. First, what is he supposed to do? The things which you have seen. That's talking about Revelation 1, 9 through 20. The things that uh, we've already looked at. Or, or here, that's what he's wanting to do. The second, the things that are, I believe those are the churches. He wants him to write these things down about the churches. He, he is doing an examination of the churches. And again, I'm going to say this is not of every single church, but it gives us a, a good picture of what churches look like. And third, the things which will take place, these things that are to come in the book of Revelation. That's the prophetic revelation. That's basically the redemptive plan of God, folks. That's basically the redemptive plan of God. We're going to be able to see it. And after saying this, we see in verse 20 there, Jesus begins to explain this mystery. And I'm running out of time real quickly here. And, uh, and here we have the seven stars, the seven lampstands. They are the angels in the seven churches. We see that in verse 20. You can read that. The mysteries are secrets, folks. They're hidden from mankind, but God does reveal some of them to us. We still have mysteries out there because we don't know when he's coming back. And anybody who tells you, even if it's after chapter 3, is wrong, okay? They can't tell you. This word, mysteries, is used four times in Revelation. I'm just going to let you jot these verses down. 120, 10.7, 17.5, and 17.7. You can look at it later. This mystery, this secret, is now being explained. This does not seem very vital at this point, uh, but put in the context of the whole of Revelation, this is the apocalyptic mystery that Jesus is giving to his church. John uses the word for angels here, so he does mean an actual angel, does he? Well, that's a question. Some people say he does mean an actual angel. That means we have an angel at Grace Church? I don't think so. Some say that this would imply that there's an angel for each church and they watch over them. I don't believe that. Some people say it's a human messenger. I think there's more chance that it's a human messenger than it is a real angel. But some others say it's definitely an angel. The one thing that we cannot miss is that the Exalted One, the Savior, one who is amongst the lampstands, the one who is in his church, we have nothing to fear. Great community church has nothing to fear. Men can lie about you, men can persecute you, even to the point of death, but you have nothing to fear. Uh, a lot of what I've been thinking about lately. Praying about, um, it, it's been interesting what the Lord has done, and I was teaching uh, in Rome on Friday morning, and uh, I'm teaching them. Uh, what was I teaching? And in, 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 interpreting data. And one of the Italians there asked me, obviously through a translator, because I don't understand Italian, uh, about um, Psalm 119, verse 71. And it says there, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Have you ever said it's been good that you've been afflicted? Thank you, Lord, for spanking me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for taking away all my food. Thank you for taking away all my security. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. And I said, yeah, that's great. I said, look at verse 69. I, I'm, I'm looking at it as I'm talking to you. And I see the arrogant have forged a lie against me. (laughs) That can happen, folks. That can happen. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. I go back to the word of the living God each and every time. I have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Jesus Christ is in unbroken fellowship with the churches on earth whether they are persecuted or in some cases floundering. How do I know that? Because the Bible keeps telling us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Call for me. He says he'll give them rest. Folks, if you are in that kind of a situation today, and you're feeling afflicted, you're feeling pressured, persecuted, whatever it is, you have a great Savior it's not just in word, it's not just, it's just not you, you feel that way because everybody else. No, that's what He does personally for you if you know Him. But the, the idea, uh, the, the great important thing that happens here is that you know Him. For those who are Christians here, I know you know this. Pray for those who you think need to be saved. And maybe if there's any doubt in your own mind, pray for yourself that you would know Him as Lord, as Savior, Redeemer, as the one who has come, the one who will be forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for Revelation. What a great book, Lord. Thank you for this punctuation on all of your ministry to us in word. I pray, Lord God, that as we continue to go through these, now we're going to go through the churches. Father, I I just pray for wisdom there in being able to explain what the churches are about and maybe who those churches may be. And Lord God, for all those who are here, I pray that they would embrace you with their whole heart, mind, and soul and walk after you. pray this in your name. Amen.